Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It is Friday morning, that means it's time for the weekend review and preview conversation as my guest will recap for us the key events over the past few days and preview what investors should be mindful of in the week ahead. So joining us today for the conversation, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Mike Gord, Asset Allocation Strategist for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office office. Mike, thank you for dropping by today. Looking forward to our conversation. Hey, good morning, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. So, Mike, as you know, it was a very busy week, in particular with corporate earnings. We did hear from a range of companies, and the season really began to kick into high gear. So how have the results, Mike, been coming in relative to the chief investment office's expectations? Yes. So, uh, Season is again upon us. Uh, you know, last week, so not not this week, but last week, we got all the banks reporting, and, and we got a handful more uh, this week. So we're at a little bit over 20% of the S&P 500 market cap having reported so far. Uh, so still in early innings, I'd say, but enough that uh, we can start to kind of see where things are headed. Uh, and compare versus what we had anticipated the season would look like. Uh, so looking at a high level, um, our expectations coming into the season, I, I describe as uh, slowing, not plunging. Uh, so we're expecting to see some slowing in earnings growth momentum uh, with some pockets of weakness that are related to slower consumer spending. Uh, some ongoing supply chain struggles are also going to bring some weakness uh, as the cost pressures that, that shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. Uh, and the last thing to mention is we are expecting some weakness uh, from currency headwinds as a lot of those large multinationals are going to uh, have a little bit of an earnings headwind thanks to the very strong appreciation of the dollar of late. Uh, but even in the face of those challenges I just laid out, uh, given you know how dismal the first half of 2022 has been for investors, we actually expect uh, you know equity prices to be fairly resilient, uh, as we expect the markets and investors have priced in you know a, a pretty negative outlook you know as it relates to these concerns before the season kicked off. So we you know things I guess were set up. You know, expectations were low already, so it's, you know, easy to beat low expectations. Uh, but digging into the details a little bit, so I want to touch on the bank earnings last week uh, because they actually give us a really good read on, you know, the economic outlook. Uh, specifically as it relates to the consumer. Um, you know, there were certainly some headline-grabbing comments uh, about economic concerns made by some of the uh, the leaders of these banks. Um, but looking past those, you know, kind of clickbait headlines, the actual results, uh, they're suggesting that corporate and consumer balance sheets do remain healthy, uh, albeit less so than this time last year. Uh, but there's enough left in the tank, so to speak, to prevent, you know, any minor economic recession, should one even materialize here in the U.S., from turning into one of, of real severity at a macro level. Uh, so the last aspect of the results that I want to hit on so far uh, is the forward guidance for uh, earnings expectations for the quarters to come. So coming into this earnings season, we were uh, here at CIO a bit more pessimistic on the earnings prospects for the second half of this year and, and 2023. Uh, so our estimates for 2022 were 4% below consensus and for 2023, 6% below consensus. Uh, but already 
uh, analysts across the street have begun to take down their estimates for 2022 numbers. So now, you know, we going into the season, we were 4% below consensus. Right now, we're only 2% below consensus for end-of-year numbers. So just to be clear, we're not calling for any actual decrease in earnings, just slowing growth. Uh, so we have earnings expectations for the S&P 500 for this year of $227. Uh, and for next year of $235. And that is 8% earnings growth in 2022, declining to 4% in 2023. So again, slowing, not plunging. Well, Mike, thank you for that comprehensive recap and for helping us to manage expectations for quarters to come. Interesting to hear some takeaways and reflections of what was a very busy week of reporting. I know next week will be as well. I'm sure we'll cover that a bit later in the conversation, though looking outside of earnings and maybe turning to the macro calendar for a few moments. I know it was a fairly busy week with respect to housing-related data points. So anything in particular, Mike, you can recap for us? What were the notable data releases on the housing front. Yeah, sure thing. So it, it was actually a fairly quiet week outside of housing-related data, um, <clears throat> but there was a lot of that to parse through. So uh, just touching, you know, the only other one I want to mention from this week was initial and continuing jobless claims, which came in basically with expectations. Not much to discuss. So on to the housing market. So first, we got some disappointing results from existing home sales. That came in at $5.12 million. Uh, versus the expectations of 5.35 million. Importantly, though, uh, then in the midst of the, the depths of the initial pandemic lockdowns of the second quarter of 2020, this is the lowest reading in four years. Uh, median prices also hit a new high of 416,000. Uh, but <clears throat> again, importantly, to caveat this, the rate of appreciation of home prices has slowed meaningfully. So this time last year, prices were rising at a 24% clip versus just 13% today. So, so really coming down uh, fairly quickly for you know, the housing market. Uh, but in addition, you know, there has actually been a shift among the mix of houses that have sold. Uh, that's basically skewing that median price higher. So the mean price may not you know, reflect that same trend. Uh, now, let's look at inventory. So the months of available inventory ticked up to three months. Uh, it's still well, well below the pre-pandemic norm of six months, but it's trending in the right direction, just showing signs, again, of, of some cooling activity. Uh, absolute inventory level, uh, it rose almost 10% this month to, to 1.26 million units. Uh, and historically, just, just speaking generally, inventory levels that are over 1 million, it's indicative of a market moving more into balance uh, as those sellers lose some of their pricing power as supply grows. Uh, and the last thing from this week we want to touch on is mortgage applications fell and continue to dip uh, as affordability issues you know, continue to push down mortgage originations uh, thanks to fewer first-time purchasers and, and refinancings are very low today, uh, you know, given the interest rate backdrop and the plausibility that most of the folks that were considering a refinance probably got that done while rates were at rock-bottom levels last year. 
So, so that's kind of what we saw in the housing market this week. Well, Mike, thank you for recapping the housing data points. Maybe for a few moments, we can look outside of our borders. I know with respect to central banks, there has been a lot of attention paid to our very own Fed, rightfully so, though we did hear some key policy announcements this week from both the European Central Bank, the ECB, as well as the Bank of Japan, the BOJ. So any takeaways from both announcements, Mike, you can share with us? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because they actually made very differing decisions, just a, a matter of a few hours apart from each other. Uh, so the Bank of Japan, the BOJ, they decided to keep rates unchanged, whereas the ECB raised rates by 50 basis points. Uh, so this development means that Japan is now the last major developed market with negative policy rates. Uh, that ECB 50 basis point interest rate hike uh, it brought their benchmark level to 0%. So in response to the BOJ's decision not to raise rates, uh, the yen has continued its weakness that has been um, on display this year and is now at a four-decade low versus the dollar. Uh, you know, just mentioning that the BOJ did reiterate that they will continue to purchase bonds in the market to defend their yield curve caps. Uh, but they did not explicitly say that they would try to defend against further yen weakness. So, so that's Japan. But over in Europe, we got a very different result uh, as the ECB officially ended that negative interest rate policy. Uh, so notably, the market was actually expecting only a 25 basis point increase, which would have left the deposit rate at minus 0.25% versus the 50 basis point increase we actually got bringing the deposit rate to zero. Uh, but arguably the more important aspect of their meeting was the announcement of the new transmission protection instrument, or what we'll call TPI for short. Uh, this tool is about shoring up weakness in, in the area that may appear in financial conditions amongst member states. Uh, it was created with more peripheral members in mind, though any member state can tap the, uh, the instrument. Now, markets have reacted favorably to the ECB announcements. The euro bounced initially, uh, and peripheral nation spreads were stable. Uh, the ECB made clear that they have other tools to deploy before they would consider using the TPI, which is theoretically unlimited in size. Uh, but the aim that we suspect is that by making the tool public and available, they can avoid having member countries need it just by virtue of its existence. I like to kind of think about it similar to the Fed fund window, you know, that banks could use here in the U.S. during times of challenging financial conditions, you know, the emergency window. Um, but after today's decision, markets are now expecting another 50 basis points hike uh, by the ECB at their next meeting in September, uh, which we suspect will come. Uh, and we also see two additional 25 basis point hikes before year end. And that will bring the euro area deposit rate up to 1%. Uh, but of course, it goes without saying, you know, that interest rate hike path, just like our uh, path forward here in the U.S., will be determined by incoming economic data uh, during what will be a very volatile time for the euro area. Well, Mike, thank you for sharing some takeaways there from this week's central bank announcements, and we'll be sure to track very closely uh, the upcoming meetings and what might come from those. Before we close out our conversation today, Mike, if we look ahead to next week, what will be taking place that investors should be mindful of? Yes. So uh, first off, we're, we're going to be following earnings season very closely as it's going to be another busy week, like you said. 
specifically, like I had mentioned, we, we're going to be watching closely the uh, the pace at which earnings revisions uh, across the street are either raised or lowered, probably lowered, uh, considering they had already been trimmed decently just so far this season. Now, beyond that, uh, it is a very busy week for macro data. Uh, so after the housing data we had this week, next week, we will also get new home sales and FHFA price index, uh, which given what we discussed earlier, shouldn't be surprising that consensus is looking for a 1.6% increase in price month over month. Uh, but given that housing data continues to come with a lag, by its nature, the increase in price will actually only be reflecting activity through May. Uh, another data point that we will be watching is wholesale and retail inventories. Uh, as signs of weaker consumer demand can show up in rising inventory levels, uh, we will also get preliminary readings for June durable goods, where we expect a bit of a drop off from the month before. Uh, as higher prices are continuing to bite and consumers are shifting their spending away from the category. We will also get second quarter GDP and price data. Uh, the market's looking for a positive second quarter GDP print of 0.4% after last quarter's minus 1.6% reading. Uh, on the inflation side, we get the results of the Fed's preferred inflation gauge, which is the core PCE deflator. Uh, on a year-over-year -year basis, this is expected to come in flat versus last month at 4.7%. However, it's worth noting that the broader PCE deflator, which includes you know the volatile categories like food and energy, is expected to increase half a percent from 63 to 6.8%. And so the disparity between those two readings, is, it's really effective at displaying the effects that, that the rapid run-up in prices uh, you know, of, of food, of energy, have had on the different inflation readings that we do have to track. Uh, we'll also get the final revision for the June University of Michigan survey data. Uh, and there, we're, we're specifically looking at uh, any revisions to the five to 10 year inflation expectations, uh, which the street expects to remain at 2.8%, which would be well anchored. Uh, so this is something that we will be watching closely as well. Um, I know that's a lot. I did gloss over the most consequential release of next week, uh, which is the Fed rate decision, which we get on Wednesday. Uh, we're expecting rates to lift by 75 basis points. That's basically right in line with market expectations. And that would bring the new effective Fed funds range up to 2.25 to 2.5%. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to be watching this closely, and we will certainly have a, uh, a blog or two out in response to the release next week. So stay tuned for more there. Um, but that covers everything I have this week, Dan. Thanks again for having me. A busy week ahead. So, Mike, thank you for previewing that for us. And thank you for the comprehensive recap of this week's key events, what moved markets. Uh, thank you for joining us as always, Mike. Enjoy the weekend. Stay cool. I know most of the country is undergoing a heat wave at the moment. And we'll look forward to having you back again with us soon. Thanks, Dan. You have a good weekend as well. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only.
As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.